0: The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. I want to talk with you today about your spiritual heart, uh, maintaining a healthy spiritual heart. And we're, we're concluding today our series in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, and, and what we're going to see is kind of an autopsy of a dead heart. You saw that, uh, that picture of uh, Vice President Dick Cheney's enlarged heart, how over time, because of heart disease, it had swollen and it had gotten uh, more than twice the size of a healthy heart. And, and how does that happen? Well, you know, partly genetically from having heart disease, but usually it happens from eating too much of what tastes good and from not exercising yourself, disciplining uh, yourself. I don't know if you've known someone, I remember the principal uh, at at a school I went to, uh, there were all these pictures of him when he was in high school and college, he was this quarterback and he was like incredibly fit. Well, by the time I came around and he was the high school principal, uh, he was really overweight and there were all these stories about how he used to be this incredible athlete. Well, the guy ended up having uh, a heart attack and he lived through it, but he had to totally change his whole lifestyle. Have you ever... Met someone like that where at one time they were really fit, they were really healthy, but you know, over time life kind of happens, lifestyles change, uh, and they lose that healthiness. Well, we're going to find in Nehemiah today the heart of God's people in a very similar place. Uh, We're going to see, and and we saw last week how healthy it was. If you were here last week, we were in Nehemiah chapter 8, and we saw God's people were so broken before him. They were so repentant before him. And we'll see some more of that today in chapter 9. But we're going to see that over years, uh, over time, as lots and lots of time passed, uh, these people who were once very repentant before the Lord, who had really healthy hearts spiritually, uh, their lifestyle started to change. They started to get a little apathetic and by the time we get to the end of Nehemiah, uh, we're going to see, sadly, that they're, they're almost, not quite, but almost right back where they started at the beginning of the book. So I, I want to encourage you, and I know a lot of you have been here for this whole series, Rebuild. And you have been, in this time, with God's help, rebuilding in your marriage or rebuilding in your finances. Maybe it's your relationship with God you've been rebuilding. Some of you, I know, have been rebuilding your legacy There's four times in the book of Nehemiah where Nehemiah says, so remember me for this. And some of you are nearing the end of life and you're thinking, what's my legacy going to be? And and God's helping you to rebuild that, rebuild your relationship with your kids and rebuild other things in your lives. Here's what we're going to see today. You entered this study thinking that rebuilding would be the challenge. And for many of us, rebuilding still is the challenge in some area of life. But here's the reality. If you stay true to God's plan, the rebuilding will happen. We've seen that week after week in Nehemiah. Here's where the real test comes. After after you've chosen God's plan, especially for years, the rebuilding happens, and then we can get a little bit comfortable. And that's when the real test comes. Am I still going to choose to be dependent on God after the crisis is over? You know, uh, my, my, my wife had stormed out the house. She, had, she, she brought the divorce papers home. It gets your attention, and, and you repent, and God has your attention, and you, and you go to counseling, and, and God restores your marriage. Uh, and, and then life starts to happen, right? And after a while, you kind of start to take it for granted. Or maybe you say, saw the same thing happen uh, financially or spiritually. You were broken. God got your attention. Right now you're rebuilding. Uh, I'm telling you, first of all, encouragement. Keep doing things God's way. He will rebuild. Uh, eye has not seen, ear has not uh, heard. You, you can't even imagine the plans that God has for you. Keep doing things His way, and He's going He's gonna to do better things in your life than you can imagine. I'm not talking about... You know um, a house in Beverly Hills and Tahiti and health and wealth stuff here I 'm talking about internal peace and joy and contentment. follow God 's plan and your life will rebuild and then comes the test: Are you still going to cling to God? Are you still going to be dependent on God when you 're not in crisis? when your marriage is healthy when, when there is some money in the bank and, and the bills are paid and When when things are going well, are you still going to depend on God? So today we really find a warning. A warning that as you rebuild, beware of wandering into apathy. And we're going to see three steps today. And each of you are going to find yourself, you're going to identify with one of these three steps. Uh, For some of you, it's still repentance. You're still right there at the beginning. God is is breaking your heart. and, And you're still in the repentance step. For others of us today, it's this reorganizing step. Okay, now that I've repented, I'm really going to reorder my life to be the way that God wants it to be. And for others of you, it's, it's going to be this step of resolve. I resolve. It's my resolution that even though I'm, I'm now in a very comfortable place, I'm going to remain dependent on God. So let's look in the book of Nehemiah and and, uh, see where each of us find ourselves today. Let's start in chapter chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. If you were with us last week, we rejoiced in chapter 8. God's people were broken when they saw how far they were from God's plan for their lives. But through their leaders, Nehemiah and Ezra, God says, no, 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 don't be broken. Just take a minute to rejoice. Take a minute to celebrate how far you've come. And if you missed last week's, it'd be a good one to listen to on our website, because I know very many of you, you, you are seeking to follow Christ with your life. It, and it is hard at times, right? Uh, Jesus said, "In this world you will have trouble." Following Jesus is, is called the narrow way. It can get discouraging. And if you missed last week's, I know a lot of people let me know throughout the week, I needed that. I know I needed it. Uh, I didn't plan it. It it just came from the text. There's times when you need to stop and say, God, thank you for how far you've brought me. You need to look back and see, wow, things were so torn down in my life, and and just remember how far God has brought you. Well, on the heels of that here in chapter 9, we find God's people in a place of complete repentance verses 1 through 3 tell us this on the 24th day of the same month the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners they stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers they stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping their God. Step one, repent from ways that are other than God's way for your life. You see that in verse three? They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. And if you take the time to read all of chapter nine, it becomes just this laundry list, this this list of, of God. Here's all the ways that I veered from your plan, that we veered from your plan, that even our fathers um, wandered away from you. And and this may be where you are today, that you have not yet repented. Maybe you have yet to kneel before God and say, God, you know, my life, doing life my way isn't really working out. And maybe for you, today's that step where you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to get on my knees before you, and, and God, I want you to be in control of my life. Because, you know, with me being in control of it, it's not going all that great. Uh, this is what the moment of salvation is all about, is when we get on our knees before God and say, God, I understand I can't work my way to heaven. I can't, I don't have it all together. But even as we grow in Christ, there's times when, when we've let an ongoing sin take root in our lives, and there's times when, when like God's people here, we, we need to just confess and say, God, I'm, I'm going to turn away from doing things my way. I want to get back to your plan. Here's the principle. Crises, when you have a crisis, it humbles you, right? Crises humble us. We are broken and needy and more likely to repent when we are wallless, like the people of God had been or when we are helpless or when we are desperate. After the breakup, after the bankruptcy, when you're lying in a hospital bed, when the person you love just stormed out of the house, when your children are making terrible decisions, when there's bad things happening in your life and they're beyond your control, it tends to get our attention. And you know what? That's, that's actually a good thing. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. There's a godly sorrow, a brokenness that says, it's kind of when we hit our rock bottom, right? God, I I need you. Have you ever had that godly sorrow that leads to repentance? You know, Jesus' core teaching is called the gospel. It's a Greek word, euangelizo, which means the good news. And sometimes we focus so much on the good news that we forget good news doesn't, really have a lot of meaning or weight unless there's bad news before it, right? The bad news is that we are sinners, every single one of us. It doesn't matter how good we look on the outside, it doesn't matter uh, what religious tricks we do, Scripture says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, we don't, you know, often acknowledge that fact. Uh, I think of it this way, you know, if you're out boating, I know we're in Arizona and there's not a lot of water and a lot of boating that goes on around here, okay? But if you're out boating, um, for example, in Michigan where I grew up, if you see um, the equivalent of the Coast Guard, right, the like lake patrol boat comes up to you, it's not, it's not good news usually, as long as your boat is working fine, you're like, oh, great. Now they have all these, like, you need a boater's license, registration, fishing licenses, all these things, right? So it's kind of like getting pulled over by a police officer, right? Like, Oh, this is not great. But how different it would be if your boat had a, a major hole in the bottom of it, right? And water's coming in, and you're starting to sink, and, and, and then... The, the Coast Guard or the Lake Patrol comes up, right? Now it's, it's good news, right? Uh, same thing with the police officer. You know, you get pulled over normally, not great news. Uh, but if you're in some kind of uh, bad situation and you see a police officer, all of a sudden now it's great news, right? Well, it's the same way with God. So many people around us think, you know, God's just out to get them. Uh, they they think of God as as like, you know, the Lake Patrol or a police officer, Oh no, there's a popo. there's the 5-0, watch out, you know? Don't, I don't want God in my life because he's just going to come judge me. He's just going to come, you know, find me and give me a ticket. And that's because they don't understand the bad news that leads to the good news. The bad news is that we are all sinners. The bad news is that we cannot work our way to heaven. And when we really understand that, and when we really understand how broken our lives are without God, we... We, we see God as good news, that Christ would come down into our lives. And this is what repentance is. Mel and I were having dinner earlier this week with some friends, and, and we were talking about this with our kids, with, with raising our kids. How do we raise kids in the church so that they don't just think, well, I'm a Christian because I go to church, or I'm a Christian because my parents are Christian? Well, the reality is we have to tell them the bad news that leads to the good news, which is... When, when my son does something wrong, to not just say, well, you're a good boy, but to say in love, hey, buddy, I love you, and I know you're capable of a lot more than this, but there's, there's evil in your heart. There's sin. There's wickedness. Just like is in daddy's heart. Just like is in mommy's heart. Is in all of our hearts. and And when we... When we lie, or when we hit, or when we disobey, that's coming out of our hearts, and we need, we need Jesus to give us new hearts. That's the bad news that leads to the good news. So have you had that moment of repentance in your life where you've acknowledged, yeah, I, I am a sinner. I do need a Savior. You know, God tells us, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. If, we, if, if you just left it, you're a sinner. That'd be pretty mean parenting, right? The good news is, Jesus loves you. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. So that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And then the next verse of John chapter 3 says, if you don't believe in him, you're condemned already. In other words, Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came because you were already condemned by sin. He came to help you out. So have you ever repented in that way? Verse 33, God's people say, you, O our God, have acted faithfully while we did wrong. We are slaves today, slaves in a land you gave our forefathers. In other words, they're just realizing these are the consequences. When I do life my way, it doesn't work out. This is not a comfortable message, right? This is why uh, Paul says that the gospel's an offense. It's foolishness. It it doesn't appeal to our our self-help heart, right? Of, well, you're generally generally a good person. Just work a little harder, love the people around you, and all will go well. Jesus' message is radically different from that. If you actually read what Jesus said in the gospels, he brought good news for people who understand the bad news. So have you taken that step of repentance? Next step. Step two, reorganize your ongoing lifestyle habits. Reorganize your ongoing lifestyle habits. Look at uh, verse 38 of chapter nine. In view of all this, God, in view of, they've just listed all their, their flaws and their mistakes, their fallout, their difficulty from doing things their own ways. God, we confess our mistakes to you. We turn from that old way of life. And then verse 38, in view of all this, We are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it, and then they they describe this agreement, which is pretty much to say, God, we're going to readjust our livelihoods, our families, our weekly schedule, we're going to reorder our lives to live life your way. We realize that our way is broken, and and we repent from that. And now, Lord, we want to reorder our lives around you. I wonder, have you ever made that kind of binding agreement that you belong to God, and you will follow him? That, you know, as Jesus described, you will take up your cross and follow him. You'll die to yourself you'll no longer live for you and your kingdom you'll live for him and his kingdom this is the staying power that changes lives it's a commitment to follow christ whatever he says now it is not perfection all through scripture we see the people who were the most committed to god they were not perfect right I mean, look at King David. The the guy was a murderer. He was an adulterer. Look at Peter. He denies Christ. Uh, This is not about being perfect, but this reordering is a commitment to be faithful. It's a commitment that when you fall down, you'll get back up. And and by the way, uh, the enemy really works on those of us who are perfectionists. Uh, you know, if you're a perfectionist or if, if your spouse is a perfectionist, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you, you mess up, so you're like, well, I messed up. I might as well just, you know, forget it. I guess I'm not that good of a Christian. Well, well, look at the Bible. Everyone who followed Jesus messed up. All God's people messed up. Reordering your life is not about getting it perfect every time. It, it's about when you fall, getting back up. It, it's about just, just saying, you know, you will fall. Not if you fall, but when you fall, getting back up to follow Christ. Have you made that kind of agreement? God, I do want your plans for my life. I do want to reorder my life around your instructions for me. And, and when I fall down, I'm, I'm going to get back up. We have this elm tree in our yard. Um, I think it's the same kind of tree that is around the square downtown. Uh, and when we moved into our house about three years ago, it was, it was not that big. Um... It, I mean, it, it, I don't know. The, I'd say that the base of it was about this big around. Well, uh, we have this neighbor who's a landscaper, and we have these gophers who are always eating at the roots. And so he said, you know, dig this trench around it um, and kind of keep it watered, and that'll keep the gophers away. So I dug this trench, and then it just so happens there's this place where all this water comes off the roof of our house. And I thought, oh, I can connect like that spot. So I dug this little ditch that leads to the trench. So when it rains... Um, the, the rain from almost the whole house because we have a flat roof, it comes off the back it all goes in this one place and then it all goes down to this, this elm tree and so in the last three years uh, this thing has like doubled its, uh, its thickness, it has gotten so much bigger and so much stronger it's such a healthy tree and, and I want you to think of your spiritual life that way repentance is the seed okay, that moment that you come to Christ and you say okay Uh, Jesus, I I believe you're God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I I know I'm a sinner, but I also know that you love me and and you died for me. Jesus, I want to turn from my sins. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to accept your free gift of salvation. The moment you accept that free gift, the seed is planted. And Jesus talks about this. He has all sorts of parables about that seed. Sometimes the seed takes root, and it grows up, and it bears fruit. That's what's supposed to happen. Other times, the the seed takes root, and it starts to grow, and the cares of this world choke it out, and it never does really grow fruit. Well, repentance is is the seed. This next step of reordering your life around God's plan for you, Not, not because you're trying to earn God's favor, not because you're trying to earn your salvation, but because from a repentant heart, you acknowledge, okay, God's way for my life is better than mine. God's plan for my sexuality is better than my plan for my sexuality. God's plan for my finances is is better than mine. God's plan for my relationships is better than mine. I'm just going to reorder my, I'm going to do what God says, even if it doesn't look really exciting. And when you reorder your life, it's like digging that, digging that trench. And now the seed is getting watered and, and you're, and you start to grow you really start to see things happen in your life. And this is, you know, as a pastor, we see so many families who, who, who come and worship with us here. And one of the most heartbreaking things is when you see people where uh, God gets their attention through some crisis, and there's that genuine seed of repentance, and they start to grow, and then they even start to reorder their life around God, and, and things start to get a lot better. And then things get so much better that their life becomes about how much better things are. All of a sudden, they have a better job, and they can get a bigger house. And, and, and all of a sudden, they, they get caught up with the cares of this world, and, and the seed's not getting watered anymore. And, 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 and as a pastor, you, you, you see them, they'll, they'll come, they'll start growing, and then every once in a while, they'll just kind of disappear. Disappear. And you follow up with them, you call them, you take them to lunch. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know, we really need to get back, we really need to... But but it just doesn't happen. They haven't reordered their life, or they started to, but there wasn't a staying power with it. Reorder your friendships the way that Christ says. Reorder your spending the way that Christ says. Reorder your time. Reorder what you talk about, what you dream about. Do those things, and you're digging a ditch spiritually, for water to flow into your life, and God grows you. God does the work, but it's up to you to choose it. Am I going to reprioritize things God's way? Here's a law of spiritual physics. Just as water plus sunlight makes plants grow, right? As long as they're getting sunlight from above and water, they grow. In the same way, here's a principle for you. Repentance plus consistent obedience... Brings God's freedom and blessing in your life. Now, again, we're not talking like a health and wealth blessing, Uh, though. Ironically, sometimes, sometimes that is part. You know, sometimes it it does bless you that way too, but that's not what it's all about. Repentance is like it's like the sunlight, right? God's grace comes into our lives through repentance, but then you choose. Okay, now I'm going to consistently obey God's pattern. There's a freedom and a blessing that follows that. For three years, Jesus showed his disciples over and over and over again, God will empower your life. He will supernaturally empower your efforts when when you just do what he says as a follower of Christ. What does that look like? Well, it doesn't look like any external religion, but it's, it's a movement of the heart that says, God today... I trust you more than I trust myself. So look at these verses in Nehemiah 10. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands. Have you ever re- assumed the responsibility for your spiritual growth? Only Christ can save you. Salvation's a free gift. Now, what are you going to do with the seedling? What are you going to do with the new life that you have in Christ? Have you ever assumed responsibility to say, you know, unless I water it, unless I surround myself with other believers, unless I renew my mind in the word of God, it's not, it's not really going to grow. God does the work. But I kind, of, I, I kind of dig the channel for his water to flow into my life. I love this verse 39. We will not neglect the house of our God. So God's people here, they just say, you know, we're, ev- everything God says for our lives, we're going to do. And then they, and then they start to, to write it all out and say, God, we'll do this. We'll do that. We'll do this. So it's a question. Have you made a binding agreement that you belong to God and your life will follow his plan? Take those first two steps consistently and God will rebuild your life. And so then comes the third step. Resolve to remain dependent on God when blessing and comfort do follow obedience. Now, Here's the thing. Blessing and comfort don't always follow obedience. They pretty much never immediately follow obedience. But if you keep to God's plan for your life for years and for decades, you will start to see blessings in your life. Sometimes it's an internal blessing like peace or joy. Sometimes it it is financial. You know, you say, okay, God, I'm going to handle my money your way. I'm going to handle my career your way. And you end up being far more profitable and having far more left over than if you had done it all your way and spent it on yourself. Sometimes it does work out that way. For sure, it works out in, in your marriage, right? There are couples in here where, uh, you know, for decades, they have done things God's way, and now they're in a, a place of, of great blessing. You know, 20 years ago, there was a cute girl at the office, and if he was a normal guy, he would have had an affair with her, but he did things God's way, and now his marriage is really strong and healthy in his later years of life. Follow God's plan. He will rebuild. You might think, well, I've been following God's plan for years. You know what? Essentially, we follow his plan until we cross the finish line, which is when he calls us home to heaven. You know, the Apostle Paul said, I've, I've run my course. I've run with endurance the race set before me. I've finished my course. So, some of you are on that, you know, that final corner. Now is not a time to stop running. Keep doing things God's way. Others of you, you're just, you just repented. You're just getting started. Keep doing things God's way. The greatest blessings are in eternity with Christ, right? But there are blessings that come in this life. There are, your marriage will be better. I don't know anyone who's a believer whose finances are worse because they tithe and do things God's way in their finances. Uh, do things God's way, you don't do it to get the blessing, but very often the blessing follows, okay? So then comes this question. Once the blessing follows... I'm no longer at rock bottom. Am I going to keep depending on God? Am I going to keep doing things God's way now that I'm not bankrupt? My wife's not threatening to divorce me. I'm not laying in the hospital on my back. There is there is no crisis. And some of you are like, no crisis, that is not me, okay? But, but you'll, you'll have little seasons of your life where it's like, wow, things are pretty good. That's the real test. Am I, am I still going to depend on God. Well, sadly, God's people didn't do that. If you flip over to chapter 13, we're going to see that because they followed God's plan, they really got blessed. Their, 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 their whole civilization ramps back up as an economy. Things are going well. And then in chapter 13, verse 6, we're told that Nehemiah, you might remember from the first week of our series, Nehemiah had to Uh, Nehemiah worked for the ruler of the world at the time, King Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah had gotten permission to leave King Artaxerxes, go to Jerusalem, and rebuild the walls. Well, they get the walls rebuilt, and then they rebuild spiritually, and Nehemiah has to go report back to his boss, right? So we're told this in verse 6, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Some time later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Okay, so we don't know exactly how long, but some number of years pass. And here's what Nehemiah finds when he returns. I learned about the evil that Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased. He throws Tobiah out. You remember if you were here in chapter 4 and 5, And six, Tobiah was arch enemy number one. Remember, Sanballat and Tobiah. Tobiah was the one, when they started rebuilding, Tobiah goes, even if a fox jumps up on that, it'll fall over. Who do you guys think you are? You can't do this. Now he's living in the temple, inside the walls. What in the world is going on, right? Now look down at verse 15. In those days I saw men in Judah treading the winepress on the Sabbath. If you read chapters 9 and 10, you'll see a big part of God's plan for his people at this time was to not work on the Sabbath. And the people had repented from it, and they had reordered their lives. Some years go by, and Nehemiah returns, and everyone's working on the Sabbath. And so look down at verses 17 and 18 and see what he says. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is the wicked thing you're doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your forefathers do the same things so that our God brought all this calamity upon us and this city, now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. I call this the obedience, blessing, apathy cycle. Okay? We have a crisis, we repent, we obey God. God's blessing comes onto our lives in different ways, very often spiritually, but sometimes materially. And with the blessing, we get comfortable, and we get less dependent on God, and pretty soon we get so focused on the blessing that we forget the blesser, and we fall into apathy. And this is where Nehemiah finds God's people. They no longer are their lives ordered around what God had said for them. So here's the principle. People who were once humbly repentant often wander when things get easier, It's the natural default of our hearts to drift from God, especially when we're blessed, especially when we're comfortable. For example, the the Sabbath principle. You know, God had said, the people repented, and they said, we're going to reorder our lives. We're going to respect the Sabbath. Do you know what the Sabbath principle is about? It's about not living on 100% of what you can do. It's about saying, okay, God, I could work seven days a week. But one day a week, I'm not going to work and and I'm going to fellowship with you and I'm going to trust that you'll make up the difference. And the tithe, giving 10% of the income, is saying, God, you know, most people around me are living on more than 100%. I'm going to live on less. I'm going to always give you the first 10%. And I'm going to trust that you'll make up the difference. It's having some margin, some breathing room in your life, and then that's where God shows up. And so God's people had done these things, and as always happens, they end up having more money and more productivity when they follow God's plan than when they follow theirs, and they get blessed, and then they get into their blessings. And so they decide to work more. Resolve resolution, I'm, I'm resolved. If blessing comes into my life, if I'm no longer in a place of crisis, I'm still gonna keep doing things God's way. Well, I don't have time today, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give you guys four ways to see if apathy might be creeping into your life. I don't know which of these three steps you're on, And some of us, if you live long enough, you become like the Israelites and you go through them over and over, right? You might be on your 15th time going through one of these steps, okay? Here's four ways to know if some apathy has creeped into your life from chapter 13. First, when when you stop giving sacrificially to God's work, in verse 10, we see that the Levites are no longer in the temple explaining God's word and the worship leaders are no longer there. They're out working in their fields. Why? Because the people stopped giving. So that's always a step. When you you are no longer sacrificially giving of your time, of your heart, or of your resources, not to necessarily any one church, but to God's work. When you're no longer giving sacrificially, it's a sign there's some apathy creeping in. Next, when you invite evil directly into your home. Verse 7, here's Tobiah, arch enemy number one, living in the temple. Same thing in in verse 28, Sanballat, the other bad guy, his son-in-law is also living inside the walls now. When you invite evil directly into your home, you know that there's some apathy. When God's lifestyle patterns no longer define your life, verse 15, you know, there was a time when you kind of had a rhythm and every week you had these channels that poured into your life, but now you know, life's just kind of different. It's not ordered that way anymore. It's a sign that apathy's creeping into your life. And then verse 18, when you blindly practice the very things that got you enslaved in the first place. When you blindly practice. Here they are right back doing the things that ended up getting the walls torn down in the first place. I've seen this with alcoholics. Um, sometimes we'll have somebody come to salvation, and, and God will literally, like, miraculously heal them from alcohol addiction. And because of that repentance, and then they obey God, and they start serving in the body, and they're, they're here regularly, and you know what? Their marriage starts to improve. They're able to hold down a job now because they're living life God's way. Life gets better. And eventually, one day, they're pretty comfortable. They're living a totally different life, and they're kind of bored, and they have a drink. You know, this hap—this is in all of our hearts, to wander away from God after he has blessed us. So here's the question for us, if we're in this third step. Will I still be resolute? Will I make a resolution to obey God no matter what? And as we conclude, I just, I just want to ask you, you know, which of these three do you find yourself in today? For some of you, the only thing you need to worry about today is that repentance of saying, God, in my heart, I want to turn from those things. I want to follow you. Uh, for others, it's that, that reordering. Uh, okay, God, I know I don't earn my salvation. I don't earn your favor. But if I really want to grow spiritually, I need to cut some channels that, that bring water into my heart so that, so that I can really grow spiritually. Maybe that's where you are. And, and then others, you know, It's this resolving. Hey, there's some areas of my life that are pretty blessed now. You know, Um, you know, it doesn't always work this way. But for the last 15 years, um, I have not perfectly followed Jesus, any more perfectly than any of you. But but faithfully, when I fall, I get back up. And and you know what? Now I'm in a place where I, I have a comfortable home. I have a beautiful wife. I have healthy kids. It's not always going to be this way, right? In this life, you'll have trouble. But right now, I'm pretty blessed. And you know what? It's more important than ever to resolve. Because you know what? When you have nothing to lose, it's really easy to say, oh, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere no matter what, right? But when blessing comes, that's when it really matters to say, God, take anything. Do anything. I want to love you more. I want to serve you. I resolve to follow you. I resolve to keep living your path for my life. And some of you have decades of blessing right now. Keep resolved to do things God's way. Would you guys pray together with me? Oh, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. Lord, I I know, I just know there's someone in here today who does not know you as Savior yet. And and they've heard a lot of probably religious Christian words today, and uh, they're probably ready to get to lunch. But God, you are working in, in someone's heart here today. And, and Lord, I, I just want to give an opportunity. If, if you're sitting here today, and, and today you know my step is I just need to repent. Maybe I'm repenting for the very first time to plant that seed of salvation, or maybe I've known Christ for a while but there's some things in my life that I need to repent from. Uh, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'm, I'm the only one looking. Everyone else's eyes are closed. I, I want to see you. I want to pray for you, that God would do the work of salvation in your heart today. Lord, for, for, for those here today who are repenting, Lord, uh, we come to you, and, and just like your people in Nehemiah 9, we turn from the wicked things. We accept your free gift of salvation. Jesus be the Lord in our lives. And uh, Father, for those in here today who need some reordering, there has been a time when they repented in the past, but there's not a lot of channels of water flowing into their lives. There needs to be some reordering. And, and Holy Spirit, you're the one who says what that is. But if that's you right now, just just, just tell that to God. God. I will reorder my life around you. I'll make you the center instead of the extra, the leftover. Father, for those in here who have enjoyed the blessings of obedience in in many different ways, if that's you, just pray with me and say, God, I resolve to continue following you no matter what. No matter how radical, no matter the cost, I will continue following you. I will stick to your plan. Hey, Father, I know there's some in here who say, I'm sticking to his plan. There's not any blessing. Life's still pretty hard. Lord, would you encourage them today? That they stand in the company of, of the Apostle Paul and Peter and of Jesus yourself, man of sorrow. This world's not our home. And as we follow you down here, God, it it is is hard sometimes. Give us strength to keep living life your way. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.